the parashas kitetzei tovshenayinzai. That's all I'm supposed to say. So I did that. Everybody knows that the book of Dvarim is a series of speeches that were made by Moshe Rabbeinu in Arvot Moab right before, I mean, until the, until the day that he died. And it was right before Bnei Yisrael, led by Yoshua Ben Nun, went into Eretz Yisrael, or going into Eretz Yisrael. Now the first pasuk, the first pasuk in the book of Dvarim, which is not on your sheet, but I'm sure you all, you all remember it. The first pasuk in Dvarim says, Dvarim. These are the things that Moshe Rabbeinu said. This whole book is about things that Moshe Rabbeinu said. And of course, that brought up through the ages, not in modernity so much, but throughout the ages, is there a difference between the first four books of the Torah, which are kind of from God, and the fifth book of the Torah, which is also from God, but somehow originates with Moshe Rabbeinu. It is like a kind of a, of, a, of a problem that people noticed, including the traditional uh, commentaries, the traditional commentaries we call the, the Rishonim, Right, the, the great scholars who actually kind of explained the Talmud and then explained the Torah, like Rashi and the Ramban, they all recognized that there was this question. Is there a difference between the book of Dvarim and the other four books of the Torah? And if so, what is the difference? What is the difference? And generally it is assumed, generally I would say it is assumed that the fifth book of the Torah somehow originated with Moshe Rabbeinu but then was incorporated by God into the Torah just like God dictated the Torah to Moshe Rabbeinu during the 38 years that the Jews were draining around in the, ton, in, the Torah, in the desert being punished for what had happened when they refused to go to Eretz Yisrael you remember the Chet HaMiraglim the sin of the uh, spies, right? They, they didn't want to go. They decided not to go, so they were punished. And the punishment was that they would sort of like travel aimlessly around the desert, not getting anywhere, until all the people who were involved died. So I don't know if that's called a natural death or not called a natural death, but it certainly is unpleasant to think that you're just waiting to die, right? Whatever it is that's supposed to happen is not going to happen. So when that finished, when the people who were supposed to die, died, then Moshe Rabbeinu started to talk. And this was, Book of Dvarim was kind of the, the uh, goodbye that Moshe Rabbeinu gave to B'nai Yisrael before they entered into, into Israel. of course, the question of it was, uh, what was the nature of this goodbye? And the Pasuk says, Hadvarim, Asher Moshe el kol Yisrael This is what Moshe Rabbeinu said to Bnei Yisrael, And then the end of that Pasuk is a little bit strange because it tells us in great detail where Bnei Yisrael were exactly at that time. And the Pasuk says, Be'evar Yardain, on the eastern side of the Jordan River. If you, you should all be able to imagine the map of Israel. It's very easy and it always is the same. Right? And the Jordan River is a border. The border of B'nai Yisrael at this time. It's not the promised border. The promised border of Eretz Yisrael might be a lot larger. Might go to the Euphrates. It might go all the way to what we call Egypt today. I mean, not to Sinai, to, to the Nile. All, it might be bigger, but at that moment, at that moment, there was Eber Hayardain, the eastern side of the Jordan, and then Bamidbar, they were in the desert. They were Ba'arava, they were in some kind of subdivision of desert. Mulsuf, opposite 
opposite the sea called Suf, right? That's what it's called. Bein Paran Ben Tofel, between Paran and Tofel, two different place names. Vilavan, Vichatzerot, Vidizahav. So you see that in this Pasuk, there are no longer than Eva Yardain, Bamidbar, Barava, Mulsuf, Bein Paran, Bein Tofel, Lavan, Vichatzerot, Vidizahav. There are no more than nine place names that determine where Moshe Rabbeinu was standing at the time that he made these speeches, right? Where, where was it? And of course, Rashi, Rashi in his general position, Rashi's general position is the Torah does not waste words, it does not tell us things that we don't have to know, and does not simply add on details because they're there someplace in somebody's, somebody's mind. Rashi converts all of this, all of these place names, to rimazim, to hints about the various places in the 30, in the 40 years since Yitziat Mitzrayim that Bnei Yisrael sinned, that they did something wrong. That's what Rashi says. Rashi says all of those things are a code. All of those words are a code. And from that we understand for that we understand, we understand according to Rashi, that what Moshe Rabbeinu was doing, which he's going to expand upon, is he was telling B'nai, he was warning B'nai Yisrael that they obviously have a personality or psychological weakness, which enables them again and again to do the wrong thing. And that was the message that Moshe Rabbeinu was leaving B'nai Yisrael with. He's saying, you know, you better watch out. You've proven You've proven, you B'nai Yisrael have proven that you can't do it. That, you, that it's difficult for you. It's difficult for you to live up to the standards demanded. Even when HaKadosh Baruch is with you. HaKadosh Baruch gave you man, you said you wanted salami sandwiches, right? HaKadosh Baruch gave you water, you said no, you want diet coke. So, so it, was, it was again and again, it didn't matter what you received and how easy it was for you after Yitziat Mitzrayim, you remained unable to live up to the standard, and that's what Moshe Rabbeinu was telling B'nai Yisrael. Now the Ramban doesn't like this, doesn't like everything that I've said up to now, and the Ramban says, why on the eve of B'nai Yisrael going into Eretz Yisrael, or Eretz Kena'an, why would Moshe Rabbeinu want to do this? Why would he want to create the distress and despondency amongst the people? Why would he want to say to them, look, look at your history, look how terrible you are, and look, at what you've, look at what you haven't been able to accomplish. So the Ramban says, the Ramban says well, you have to, you have to change. Uh, you have to change what, the way you read it. And what really happened was, that Moshe Rabbeinu said to B'nai Yisrael, he was going to say to B'nai Yisrael, the eve of going into Eretz Canaan, he said to them, look, in spite of what you've done, God has always been good to you. In spite of what you've done, the Chet HaEgel, the Chet HaMeraglim, all of the, the times you asked for things that you thought you needed, that you didn't have, in spite of all that, here you are standing the Eber Yardain on the eastern side of the Jordan River ready, ready to go into Eretz Gedad. So that should fortify you, fortify you, make you sure that when you go to Eretz Yisrael, when you go to Eretz Yisrael, uh, uh, God is with you, that you won't have a problem, that you will be able to conquer. So, so the Ramban insists that what Moshe Rabbeinu was doing was really optimism was really emphasizing the optimistic side and not the pessimistic side. Pessimistic side, according to Rashi. The pessimistic side is, look what you did, look how bad you are, look at you one day, you better watch out. Better watch out. But you, people talk like that, right? They talk like that to their children, which is not such a good idea, in my opinion. Not that I can say that I have a statistical basis. But I have a few children. You always have to be positive. You always have to be positive. Positive is he, it's always ends up better, I think, than negative. In any event, if it, uh, so you have to learn to say, 
you'll do better next time, it'll be all right, it'll work out, it's, it's, it's really good, everything is really good. So that's what Moshe Rabbeinu, according to the Ramban, was saying to B'nai Yisrael, he said, it's really good, it's really good. That's, that's kind of what, what the, uh, Moshe Rabbeinu says in Perak Aleph of Devarim. Now there's Perak Bet. I want to look at Perak Bet with you uh, uh, quickly. Well, maybe not so quickly. We'll do, we'll do what we get. You see, it's on the sheet. So he says, Moshe Rabbeinu says after they, uh, he tells the story of, of leaving Mitzrayim. Of leaving Mitzrayim and leaving Har Sinai after they get the Torah. So Moshe Rabbeinu says, Vanifa, and you see it? Pasuk Aleph, Vanisa, Midbara, Derech Yamsuf, Kasher Dibar Hashem Eli. So we turned and we started traveling, right? After the Torah was given to B'nai Yisrael, Kasher Dibar Hashem Eli, Vanasabel, Har Seir, Yamim Rabim. So we got to a place called the Mountain of Seir. We got to the Mountain of Seir. Who Seir is or what it refers to, we will see in a moment. But Moshe Rabbeinu is now not talking about B'nai Yisrael being good or bad, not giving them uh, what to complain about or what, but he simply starts to tell them, repeat the story of their travels. And they got to Har Seir, Pasuk Bet, and after Matan Torah, after the Torah was given, God says to Moshe Rabbeinu, It's enough. You've been here long enough. Sovetahar. Sovetahar means being around the mountain. I guess camping. You know, they were kind of at Har Sinai. They were there after Matan Torah. And they were waiting for further instruction. So Moshe Rabbeinu said, enough. Penu lachem safona. So we know, so he says, turn to the north. So we know more or less that Har Sinai is in um, Sinai, in the Sinai Desert, what is called today the Sinai Desert. Now where exactly Har Sinai is, I don't know. But I do know that there are two traditions, both preserved by non-Jews. Right? There's a Har Sinai more in the north, and there's a Har Sinai more in the south. Uh, after the Six-Day War, this was actually a very popular venue in Israel. A lot of people wanted to go to Har Sinai. It sounded good. But you know how it is. Har Sinai, for, for us, is not really a place. Not really a place, because, uh, like, the Beit HaMikdash is a place. And that means that even if the Beit HaMikdash is destroyed, you can't destroy the place of the Beit HaMikdash. That's what a place is. A place has a life of its own. Now Har Sinai, because the Am Yisrael, this is the Rishonim Sam, what I'm telling you is what the, the Ramban says and what the Rabbeinu Bechaya says in explaining the Ramban. That Har Sinai went with the Jews. They took the place of Matan Torah with them. Which is why Rabbeinu B'chaya even said that in history, Jews never wanted to go back to Har Sinai. I mean, there was never a movement to go to Har Sinai. There was never Aliyala Regel to Har Sinai. Whereas the Aliyala Regel could take place with the Beit HaMikdash, even when there's no Beit HaMikdash, because there's a place. But the Jewish understanding of things, the psychology, the Jewish psychology was that Har Sinai actually disappeared. It became a regular mountain. It was not interesting. It was not interesting because of the Kedusha of Har Sinai, the sanctity of Har Sinai, came away with the Jewish people. <clears throat> they preserved it. And they, they morphed it into the Mishkan, into the tabernacle. And this the Ramban says many times that if you look carefully at the way they built the tabernacle, the Mishkan, you will see that it imitates Har Sinai, that it imitates Matan Torah in a variety of ways. For example, the Jews were told not to come too close to Har Sinai, right? right? Because if you come too close, you're, you're liable to death. 
So that's what Moshe Rabbeinu told B'nai Yisrael in chapter 19 of Shemot. He says, don't, don't come close because you will be punished. The same thing is true about the Mishkan. The Mishkan, only Kohanim can enter beyond a certain point. So, so the Rabban sees that as being parallel. Right? These two things are connected to each other. And so the people took Har Sinai with them, which Rabbeinu Bechaya then says, you know, Rabbeinu Bechaya is like a commentary on the Rabban. Because he starts with the Rabban and then like, goes on. So Rabbeinu Bechaya said, that's why Jews don't go back to Har Sinai, because they have Har Sinai. They brought it with them, so to, so to speak. Also, you know, you could argue that we're not so much into that, you know, making. Uh, but uh, that's debatable. So, go back to the north. So we're, we're talking about people who are in the Sinai Desert on their way to Eretz Yisrael, so they have to go north, right? Of course they have to go north. Uh, so this Pasuk Dalit, so, so speak, as God says to Moshe Rabbeinu, uh, command the people as follows. So you're coming now to the border which, of the land which is occupied by Esau. Remember Esau? Remember? N not the best of people, right? Not something to look up to, but somehow Yaakov and Esau made peace. You remember Yaakov returned to Eretz Canaan and he met up with Esau and Esau had his guys and Yaakov had his family and somehow there was this battle between Yaakov and the angel representing Esau and Yaakov did okay, right? Even though he ended up limping away but he still won in the battle and somehow Esau drove off, you know, rode off into the dusk at the end of the movie and and uh, uh, it was peaceful after that. There was no specific confrontation between Yaakov and Esau, even though the tradition says, right, the tradition, the Chachomim, well, compare Esau, of course, to Rome, to Rome and the continuing uh, uh, kind of agitation between Am Yisrael and other nations. Esau is very often given the credit but here in this pasuk it says, "Do not uh, that they will be afraid of you." You should be very careful. Don't do anything you shouldn't do. Do not be. Do not attack them. Do not go after them. Because you're not going to get anything that they have. It was Esav equals Sa'ir equals a certain territory, and that territory belongs to them by divine fiat. You can't get it. So stay away and don't start and don't make trouble. Right? There it is. I gave Esau this inheritance. When God says, I gave you an inheritance, it means forever. Esau will always occupy Har Seir. Wherever that is, but it's between Har Sinai and Eva Hayarden, right? If you go north from Har Sinai, again, I don't know where Har Sinai is. But if you go from someplace where you don't know exactly where it is, but it's in the Sinai Desert, and you go north, you pass through Har Seir before you get to Eva Hayarden, the eastern part of the Jordan uh, River, Pasuk Vav. So now, now starts a story. It was an interesting story. And the story is, Which means, you should buy food from them. In other words, you're, you're like this big mass of people. You're moving in a certain direction. So you have to eat. Even though you have man. What? Even though you have man. Or you could say it differently. You don't have to say even though you have man. I'm saying just saying Rashi. Why say why you say it as a kasha? No, I'm saying Rashi to, to be a good get, to be a good, uh, well, not trespasser, but to to do pragmatia, to, to 
in, in other words, the question is, why do they have to buy food from Esav if they're given food every day, man and the Be'er of Miriam? So the answer that Rashi gives, very good, is, is not because they needed it. They didn't need the food. It was like it was a friendly thing to do. It was you buy food from... It was they didn't need it. But, but they're going through the land of Esav. So it would be good if Esav, if the people associated with Esav would profit from this. It would make them feel that they're doing the right thing, but it's also good for them. We're going to be tearing up the roads. You know, we're going to be using the, uh, whatever they had for... Uh, for bathrooms, you know, whatever, so, you know, do uh, whatever, yeah. In, in other words, don't be like all of those nations that billet the army in the town without paying for it, right? That's, you know, in history, that's something that's very common, but as Rashi explains, it says, so, so you'll pay for the food, you need it, you'll eat it, you won't eat, need it, you won't eat it, but, but you'll do that. You take water from, you pay money for it. So this may be, the Pasuk says, let me just translate it, uh, that God blessed you with everything that you did and he knows how you traverse the desert, this great desert, 40 years, uh, and you didn't miss out. And it was sort of like an explanation. In spite of the fact that you were blessed all the years that you were in the desert, and in spite of the fact that you, you were not missing out on anything, nevertheless, pay, pay for the food and pay for the water. That's what, that's what, Moshe, Rabbeinu, that's what Moshe Rabbeinu said. Then, Pasuk so again, you, you move on from Seir, from Esav, that's Pasuk, uh, Pasuk Tet, Pasuk Chet, uh, Pasuk Tet, Vayom Hashem Eli al Tatsarit Moav, Val Tidgar Bamilchama, so now things get a little bit more complicated. Uh, we're, up to, we're up to Moab. When you go further north, you get to Moab. Where exactly Moab is? Moab is a story because there are uh, artifacts, archaeological artifacts that relate to Moab. And Moab was real. There was really a people called Moab, even though the Torah says there was such a thing. There's no reason not to think so. But we have evidence, evidence, that indicates that there was something called Moab. There's a famous Moabite stone, uh, meaning that, not that the stone is from Moab, but that the stone, on the stone is writing that refers to Moab. And it talks about the king of Moab, whose name was Mesha. And the language that it is written in is very close to Hebrew. I mean, it's a little bit, if you read it, if you try to read it, it's like a little bit annoying, but you can figure it out. You know, it's like, it's like a kid in third grade who can't quite spell. So that's what the, but it's about Mesha Melech Moab and the taxes that he imposed and what he wanted and it's, a, it's quite a big, uh, a big uh, stone. So they're going up from the south, from Har Sinai. Then they're going first to Seir. And then uh, they get to uh, Moab. Pasuk Tet Vayom Hashem Eli Tatsar Moab Val Tidgar Ba Milchama Kilot Lot Natati Yerusha So here we have another thing. Seir was given to Esau, and Moab was given to, to Lot. And, and uh, so that's taken. All of that is taken. I mean, all, all of this means, I guess, that conquest is not going to produce more Eretz Israel. neither the, conquer, the conquest of Seir, 
nor the conquest of of Moab. It was what did produce more Eretz Israel? What Sichon and Og, right? Sichon and Og. The conquest of Sichon and Og eventually led to the expansion of Eretz Israel. So let's see again. Now if you look. Uh, Rashi, you see Rashi at the bottom. Rashi pasuk tet altit garbam. Do not, you know, get too agitated. Lo asar lehem al Moab el milchama. Rashi says you have to read carefully, and if you read carefully, you'll see that the prohibition was to go to war with Moab. Avol miyar ima yota, but you you could scare them. Vinir im lehem kishehem mizuyanim. And you could show up in the Moabite land wearing a full battle dress. You know, you have all your rifles and swords and bullets hanging around, around you, so that's scary. Mizuyanim means armored, armed, armed. The Fikach Tiv, therefore, there's another Pasuk that says, Vayagar Moab Ha'am that Moab was afraid of the people they would deny them and steal from them take their stuff from them to differentiate right, see the Rashi you're not allowed to do anything to the Ammonites. So look, if you look carefully, um, uh, sorry, you look at Pasuk Yutet, here in this, uh, I know it's here someplace, Yutet, you see, so after Moab comes Ammon, right, going from Har Sinai, there was Seir, that's Esav, then Moab, that's somehow related to Lot, and then Ammon. Those were the nations that Bnei Yisrael had to pass through to get to the Eber Hayardain, which was opposite Yericho, south to north. And so the Pasuk says, Do not uh, place a siege upon them, and do not aggravate them. You are not going to get it. Because I gave it again to B'nai Lot. Right? So B'nai Lot somehow are related to Moab and related to Ammon. And you can't capture that land and make it into Eretz Yisrael. But it's 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 going to just remain with the Ammonite, with the Moabites and the Ammonites. It's just never going to change. This is what Moshe Rabbeinu would say. So Moshe Rabbeinu is switching from talking about what Bnei Israel did in the past to a kind of a military understanding of the situation. Bnei Israel might think in their minds that whatever they could capture, they should capture, and that would be an extended version of Eretz Israel, just like at the end of the book of Bamidbar. At the end of the book of Bamidbar, they captured Sichon and Og, and the land of Sichon and Og became Eretz Israel. You remember? How did it become Eretz Israel? Reuven, God, and Chatzi, Shevet, Menashe. They said, we're going to stay. We have flocks, we have this, we have that. We're going to stay and make this our home. Moshe Rabbeinu said, but you have to go and fight. Okay, we'll go and fight in Eretz. But this will be our land. So this will be our land means that Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu said, okay, because it was Eretz Yisrael, the kibush, the conquest of the land of Sichon and Og, as opposed to the supposed conquest of the land of Ammon and Moab, did make Eretz Yisrael. And that's why Moshe Rabbeinu, that's why Moshe Rabbeinu said, el Hashem leimor. Right, Red Hanan. He said, Please let me go into Eretz Israel. 
The question Rashi asks is, well, why did Moshe, why did Moshe Rabbein think that God is going to change a position that God had adopted? So he says, when it comes to Moshe Rabbeinu being, I think I told you this, when it comes to Moshe Rabbeinu being the defense attorney for B'nai Israel, so God gave him that job. God said, you are going to defend B'nai Israel, and therefore, it makes sense to say that Moshe Rabbeinu was always successful defending B'nai Israel. But Moshe Rabbeinu, he was not given the job of defending himself. And therefore, therefore, it's not reasonable that Moshe Rabbeinu would say, let me go into Eretz Yisrael. But HaKadosh Baruch said, you're not going to go into Eretz Yisrael. So what's the Teirut? I mean, what is it that, that we have to say? We have to say that Moshe Rabbeinu felt that the edict had been abrogated already. Why? What? Because he was already in Eretz Yisrael. You're fair. He was already in Eretz Yisrael. Where was he already in Eretz Yisrael? In the land of Sichon and Og, which then became the land of Reuven and God and Chatzishevit Menashe, which means it was part of Eretz Yisrael proper in some way. So Moshe Rabbeinu said, if HaKadosh Baruch Hu allows me to be in Eretz Yisrael already, maybe he'll allow me also to be in Eretz Yisrael to the west of the, of the Jordan River. Right, we'll go to the west of the Jordan. So this is, this is uh, again, Seir, uh, Esav, uh, Moab, Amon, right? Amon. Now here, if you skip to Pasuk Tet Zayin. Vayihi Ka'asher tamu kol ha'cheh ha'milchama l'amut b'terev ha'am I'm sorry, Pasuk Yudalit Ha'yamim asher alach l'mikadesh b'anei ha'adashah ba'anu etnachol zeret Shloshim u'shmone shana atom kol ha'dor ha'cheh ha'milchama b'terev ha'machane Ka'asher nishba ha'shem l'ayim So he mentions the fact that after the chet ha'maraglim for 38 years, all of, the, all of the people who could be soldiers all died during that time. And God also afflicted them in some way to, to get them, uh, distract them uh, until they came, to the, they, they were no longer there. When this happened, when they all died, all the people who were being punished, right? You are going over the boundary of Moab to the city called Ar. Which was already in Jewish hands because Sichon had captured Ark, according to Rashi. So, right. yeah, so, I, so why is it, I, I, I'm looking for the four-line reasoning. Right. Why then is it called Moab? It, it says, it specifically says that Or was given Yerusha, uh, you know, from the name of the Satyas Or Yerusha, and yet Tihar Sichon, it was already lost to Sichon. So I, I just, yeah. But well, maybe both are true. In other words, the limit, the limit that's placed upon B'nai Yisrael to respect the, the Yerusha was not placed on Sichon. He was not, his relationship to the land had nothing to do with divine promise. It was regular. So if you captured them, they belonged to you. Here, 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 in any event, uh, we, we, what Moshe Rabbeinu has given us is this travelogue. How B'nai Yisrael got to Eber Hayardain. Like where they went first to Har Sinai, which was in the Sinai Desert. 
And then they moved up north. They, they spent 38 years draining around someplace, but basically their movements were directed to Eva Yarden Mizracha. And from there, from there they will eventually enter into Eretz Yisrael. Okay, look at the first, look at the first section. The first section on the, on the sheet. The first section says, Lo yavo amoni amoavi b'kal Hashem. Gam dora siri lo yavo lehem b'kal Hashem ad olam. So now we have a different something else. This is, this is in Dvarim Perik of Kimmel. That's in our parasha in Kitei Tzeh. So we have again, Moshe Rabbeinu is talking to Bnei Yisrael and he's telling them regulations that can that, that have to do with Ammonites, Moabites, right? That Ammoni and Moavi, I mean in modern day parlance we would say they can't convert. They can't become part of Kahal Hashem. Right? We could define that, but the community called the community of Israel does not accept Ammoni and Moavi means a very long way. I mean, how can you count ten generations and remember? So that Ammonites, Moabites, they never lose their national connection. They're always Ammonites and they're always Moabites. And, and no matter how much time has passed, and to make sure you understand that, the Pasuk says Adolam. Adolam means forever. So Rashi explains, lo yavo amoni lo yisa yisraelit. What is lo yisa yisraelit? What? Can't marry No, no. It means that even though yichus, the, the Jewish, like Jewish yichus goes after the mother, so you could say, like, what difference does it make? What difference does it make if amoni is the father? The child will still be Jewish. Mm-hmm. Right? So, so Rash says no. That the Pasuk said you can't do that. Right? An Ammoni cannot marry a Yisraelite, even though you might think that the child is going to be Jewish. Right? Okay, Al-Devar. Like, what is it? Why is the Torah so harsh? Because, because, they didn't give you bread and water. Remember the bread and the water? We said that the Jews should ask, the Torah says, Jews should ask to buy bread and water because that's a nice, friendly thing to do and it'll make, and, and, and we don't know exactly what the Torah, what the Torah here is talking about. Who didn't give them bread and water? And how come the Ammoni got mixed in with the Moavi? Because they, in the story about Bilam, that was pretty much a Moabite story. It wasn't a... So, again, Rashi says, Al-Devar, Al-Haitzah, Sheyatsu etchem, Lachtiachem, right? That... The Eitzah was to send the women into the camp of Israel so that they would uh, uh, convince them to go in, in, uh, and, and serve the idols. Pasuk hey, I'm sorry, Pasuk Vav. Lo ava Hashem elokecha l'shmoel bilam. V'yafoch Hashem elokecha l'chat haklala l'bracha. Y'ayivcha Hashem elokecha that God did not allow Bilam to succeed. But Bilam's words were changed from klala, from interdiction to bracha, to a blessing. Ki because God, God loves you. God loved you. Right? Pasuk Zayin. Loti And don't be nice to them. Don't ask, how are you? How's the family? Don't even imagine that. Never, ever, 
I mean, even that, even that opening, I mean, it goes to show you that if you, you know, stop, that a, a friendly, a friendly word is, does things. You know, it changes everything. It could even change this. And Rashi says, that you have nothing to do, nothing to do with that. Pasuk chet, lo titaev adomi ki achichahu, lo titaev mitzri ki ger hayita ba'artzo. So we have all of a sudden not only Ammon and Moab, but we now have Edom. Lo titaev adomi. You shouldn't hate him. Ve lo titaev mitzri, and don't hate the Egyptians. What does that mean? Lotu Rashi, Lotu Taiva Domi Legamre, Ava Bishra Uilacha Litaavoshi, at Savacherbli Likratchade Adomi. Maybe you should hate him, but you shouldn't hate him as much as you might. Rashi's having a little trouble here. Lotu Taiva Mitzri, do not hate the Egyptians. Mikolvacho, Ava Bishazaku Zichorechem Layaor. Even though they tried to kill the firstborn and 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 ship them off to the river, he says, "Matam shayul chavachsanya b'shatat chak lefika pasuk ted panim ashevaldu lehem dom shlishi yavol lehem mikal Hashem." So we have Amon and Moab and Edom and Mitzrayim. They're all kind of listed here in the parsha of Kitetzei. And they establish relationships that, and they seem to indicate that the past, that the past is still with us. I mean, if they once did it to you, so they did it. And that, that establishes the relationship which is binding and never changing. And so I understand when it comes to Moab, I understand when it comes to Moab, but where did Ammon come into this story? And where did, I mean, I understand the continuation is about Bilam, and Bilam again is Moab. There's something, there's something that I'm missing here. There's some idea that I'm missing. Uh, so, so here I, I leave you with the Rashbam. I leave you with the Rashbam as, uh, as an assignment. But let's look at the Svatamet. You see the Svatamet? The Svatamet says, I don't understand. I don't say the Pasuk. He says, How do you put these two reasons together? He says, what's the, I mean, how can you compare the fact that they wanted to curse B'nai Israel to make them, uh, weaken them in the eyes of God, with the fact that they didn't want to give them Lechem Umayim? I mean, what is that about? That uh, Rashi has some kind of a position, but look here at the continuation. So in other words, what, 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 uh, what the Sfat Emet is bothered by is this creating a, an ongoing relationship with Ammon and Moab and Edom and Mitzrayim. There's an ongoing, never-ending relationship. You have to always check the Yichos. You have to take, make sure that they're not honing in on what you are supposed to be doing. So he says this. Everything has to be fixed in the world. This is a well-known Kabbalistic idea, but it doesn't sound Kabbalistic when the Svatamet says it. It sounds like regular. Like, what are we doing here? Why do we have the burden that we have? Why do we have to keep the Torah? Why do we have to do the mitzvot? Why do we have to always be uh, checking how we are in the eyes of God? Why couldn't we be like everybody else? So he says, That's our job. Our job is to fix things. And 
And it's our job to move things in the direction of accepting God. Now, we were pretty successful in the, first, in the last 2,000 years. Because if you assume that Christianity and Islam are somehow derivative of Judaism and Torah, which I think everybody who's ever been in a hotel and gotten a free Gideon Bible knows that that's true. Because the Gideons, they, they first print the Old Testament and then they add to it the New Testament, which says, this is the way we think of ourselves. We think of ourselves as an improved version of the Old Testament, but you have to accept the Old Testament. And the same thing is true about Islam. Maybe it's true, but that's I don't have to tell you that the Rabbah thought that, that, uh, that Islam was certainly monotheism, right, and, and had to be treated had to be treated as, as such. But not only the Rambam, I don't mean the Rambam, but the Rambam, in spite of the fact that the Rambam suffered greatly from Islam, like it's the, the first 30 years of his life, approximately, uh, he, he didn't have a home. He, he kept moving. His family was forced to move from one place in Spain to another, and then North Africa, and then finally ending up in Alexandria. He, he suffered, in spite of the fact that he suffered from Islam and from their unpleasantness to the Jews, he nevertheless recognized clearly that Islam was a monotheistic religion and that that monotheistic religion was derived from the Torah. So if the Sfat Emet says, Sfat Emet says, that makes sense. To Moshe so what does he mean when he says what's going to happen to so we take the Rambam's position is just like regular like if the air conditioner doesn't work it's not going to work it's not like there's no certainty there's no certainty but what will happen in the there'll be greater understanding people will know that the Torah is true people who are not so thoughtful about it, and especially the nations of the world, will understand. I mean, they'll still do business, and they'll still have parties, wild parties, and they'll, they'll, they'll drink and, 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 and do things they shouldn't do, but they will know more about the truth. So that's what the Svetamet says. Kumoshi yebi imoto mashir bimheira biameinu amein velachein. And therefore, because, because of this situation in the world where B'nai Yisrael are charged with fixing, with fixing things, so it makes sense that the nations of the world want to kind of connect to B'nai Yisrael because they also want to be fixed at least according to the Svatamet, right? They really, 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 there's always said everybody, there's the way they act, and there's the really, really the way they are. Like if you have to dig away, you'll find something more interesting. So they have this conflict, right? You know about conflicts? psychologically they they want to be with B'nai Israel but they also want to destroy B'nai Israel right they it was it was they the fact that they want to be with B'nai Israel indicates that somehow they're subservient to B'nai Israel and he says, that's why the Pasuk says about Edom, Ki Achichahu, Esav, right? Esav is Edom. Esav is Achicha, he's Yaakov's brother. He's not only his brother, it's his twin brother. So he says, Bimitri, and about the Egyptians it says, Ki Gera They called Zen, these Psukim come in the Torah, Levakechlechem Tzad Heit in order to show that there's some way of connecting to them. We'll be able to connect to these nations. Right? If the Ammonites and the Moabites would have brought bread and water to B'nai Israel, that they would accept the fact 
that they had something to learn, that something that could be fixed about them through B'nai Yisrael, just as they did later on when they became monotheists. I mean, even the Christians are probably monotheists. I mean, it's a little hard for me to explain why that is, but they are sort of. I mean, if you ask most Christians, I think, you know, how many gods are there in the world? They will say one. Then if you'd say to them, well, what about blah, 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 and blah, 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 so they wouldn't know. So if they don't know, why should I know? You know, it's like, uh, it says, Perush ha-yum evaklim atzmam l'bdei Yisrael haya lahem mitzad zeh sat achizah So he says, if the Ammonites and the Moabites would have only brought bread and water from B'nai Yisrael, they would have some kind of a connection. They would be part of the future. Since they didn't bring them bread and, and water, they felt that they didn't have any kind of, of connection. Therefore, they had to try to get rid of B'nai Yisrael because they had no connection to B'nai Yisrael. So the Svazemah says this. It's like, what's this story that takes place? Why was it that in Jewish history we had to pass through uh, the land of Esau, then Moab, then Ammon? Why? And then, and then remember what happened in Mitzrayim, or why we had to be in Mitzrayim. He says, well, there's like a, a secret story here. There's another story. It's not just they had to get from place A to place B, but they had to understand. B'nai Yisrael, part of their education, in order to be in Eretz Israel, you had to have some sort of education. You had to be pre prepared. And what was it that they were being prepared for? They were being prepared for fixing the world. And the way they fixed the world was by establishing relationships even with people who were enemies, who were not you know, they didn't get along with. Like, like, like Egypt. Egypt did a terrible thing. They tried to kill the firstborn. Then they tried to do, the, to do in the, uh, the Jews in, in various ways. But, that, that you lived there. That somehow they accepted responsibility for you. And that posseg, according to the Svatim, that means connection. Or those nations that agreed even to sell you water and, and, and food, they, those nations, those nations were, were connecting to you. I mean, it's true they did it only for the money. But it's true that there was no love lost between uh, uh, you know, the Ammonites and the Edomites and, and B'nai Israel. Nevertheless, nevertheless, they established this relationship. The ones who, who did not, the ones who did not establish a relationship, the ones who went out like Amalek, not mentioned here in the Swat Ahmed, but we could add it in. We could add in Amalek and, uh, and Moab. Uh, they, they were uh, determined. They determined to be disconnected, to be unaffected, to be unrelated to Am Yisrael. And that was the lesson that Moshe Rabbeinu was trying to explain to B'nai Yisrael, if you'd ask Moshe Rabbeinu, how come sometimes we go to war and other times we don't go to war? How comes we sometimes say, I mean, that's why when they came to Eretz Yisrael, right, Yahushua Benun sent letters to all the nations in the land, saying, if you make peace with us, okay. And if you don't make peace with us, we're going to fight you. And we're going to, we'll, we'll, we will win because God is on our, on our side. But they had the option. The, all the people in Canaan had the option of coming closer and closer to B'nai Yisrael and being part of this great plan that HaKadosh Baruch Hu had for uh, fixing the world, for making it, uh, making it a better place. Okay, have a good Shabbos.